Good to see all of you. Glad to have you here. We've got some of our uh, young people out on a retreat, but God willing, they will return. Meanwhile, we're all here. Uh, Russ Johnson, I think most of you know, last Friday night, a week ago, I don't mean to go through a lot of stuff that everybody knows, but Russ had a practically died and a massive heart attack. He was twice gone. But the Lord spared him, and he's home now. It's hard to believe, isn't it? Yeah. He's home and, and doing well at last report, which was on Friday. So uh, they're very encouraged, and many of you have been involved in prayers and other ways, and they're all grateful. Okay, now let's go to John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. An interesting passage, I bet that you have often wondered about the passage, and today we're going to expound it. For those who are guests here, we're delighted to have you, and what we do is expository preaching, which is what ought to be done in all churches, but rarely is. Expository means we go through the Word of God, teaching the Scriptures, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. All right, let's read, starting with verse 53. You will see a parenthesis at the beginning ahead of 53 and ending down here at verse 12. Some of you, depending on the translation you are using, will see uh, this particular pericope, as we call it, this paragraph. You'll see it in a little different language. Some some even have it off to the side. That's because in many of the early manuscripts, uh, this does not appear. Uh, there's a story behind that. Uh, it's uh, The story is nobody doubts that it's authentic. It's where it first appeared, and there is a question about that. I'm totally satisfied with what's here, and I don't agree with some of the scholarly arguments. Let's say this or that, so we're going to take it as it is. Let's read. Verse 52 of the last chapter, And everyone went to his house, that is, of the multitude that was around there. Chapter 8, verse 1. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives where he often retired after in the evenings after these big public festivals. And early in the morning he came again into the temple, which when he was in Jerusalem, he typically did to teach. And all the people were coming to him. And he came down and began to teach them. And the scribes and the Pharisees, typically his enemies, they brought a woman caught in adultery. And having set her in the midst, they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery 
in the very act. So what were you doing there? Now in the law of Moses, Moses commanded us to stone such women, also such men, but no mention is made of that. What then do you say should be done? And they were saying this, testing him, in order that they might have grounds for accusing him. Now, this is really interesting, isn't it? Because it's not explained. We have to infer. Jesus stooped down, and with his finger, he wrote on the ground. And when they persisted in asking him, we can just see that, can't we? Jesus down on a knee on the ground, writing in Hebrew. We'll talk about that. But they, hey, you listening? What we what we just say? He seemed not to be paying attention. They were not paying much attention to what he was writing. They just wanted an answer. And when they persisted in asking him, verse 7, he straight, he straightened up glasses or new eyes. He straightened and said to them, He who is without sin, you cast the first stone. And again he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. What was he writing? And when they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older, the older men. And Jesus was left alone and the woman where she had been right there in the midst. And straightening up, Jesus said to her, woman, I want to mention this. So often we read that, we read that of Jesus speaking to his own mother. That was not disrespectful. It is equivalent of saying lady. She didn't appear to be a lady. Did no one condemn you? And she said, you got to get on those narrow eyes. No one. What she, how did she address him? Lord. Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way. From now on, sin no more. Very interesting. What does that mean? A lot of interesting stuff there. Well, when Jesus was at these pilgrim feasts, as I mentioned, he liked to go away and retire at night in the Mount of Olives. That's mentioned many times. The scribes and the Pharisees come along after in the morning he goes back as custom to the temple area. They were experts, the scribes, experts in the law. Many of them, not all of them, were also Pharisees. 
So in the scriptures and the gospels, they're often conjoined as if they're one group. They're hostile to Jesus generally. Well, we see them leading this poor woman like a pack of dogs, like a lynch mob. They were moving her heartlessly, just dragging her, this embarrassed woman, caught, they said, in the very act of adultery, pulling her forcibly into a public setting and standing her right in the midst of the crowd before Jesus. I want to talk about something that you often see, and you see it here. One moral attribute that nearly always distinguishes the righteous from the self-righteous is that the truly pious people, as opposed to the hypocrites, they are those who are, they've got to do what they've got to do, but they're, they're embarrassed. I've had to go through a number of these things over the years in my ministry in institutional life where you have these terrible things that happen and people have to be men or, men or women. They have to be brought up to be adjudicated. Whether they're lie, lies or immorality, the ones I've been in, there have been a lot of tears. This was a brother, this was a sister. And everybody's embarrassed because of the sin. And lots of times they're weeping. Hypocrites, these people were hypocrites who drug this woman there. They are very, very self-righteous, and they're very harsh. The truly righteous will do what they have to do, but the hypocrites like to make a show of holding people accountable. The hypocrite type will often make a big fuss, and they affect moral outrage. It's kind of a cover for their own sins. Some of all that was undoubtedly in the mix as these people, in their opposition to Jesus, they cruelly used this guilty woman, and she was guilty, used her as a trap. We'll explain that in tripping Jesus up and trying to force him, if they could, to give a lose-lose answer. Either way he went, that was what they were up to. They tried this same tactic when they asked him earlier, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? If he said yes, then he'd lose favor with the people. If he said no, then the Romans would come down on him with the full weight of their law and they would execute him, which they would have loved. In our law, they say in verse 5, and they're right about this, in the law of Moses, he commanded, 
Leviticus 20.10 and Deuteronomy 22.22 commanded execution for those caught in adultery. Not necessarily by stoning, though that seems to have been the traditional method. So what do you say about this wicked woman? Should we stone her or not? John makes it clear they were up to no good. Their question was insincere. They were not concerned about cleansing the nation of evil doing. They were not concerned about the moral standing of the nation. In Moses, the idea was to purge, the leaders would purge Israel, evil from Israel. But their real motive was to purge Jesus from Israel. If Jesus said, yeah, grab the rocks and stone her, she shouldn't have done this. It's against the law of Moses. Well, then that would have been pretty uh, dicey because the Romans would not have probably allowed that. I'm not saying it never happened, but the Romans frowned on them killing anybody without Roman authority. If Jesus said no, then the people said, well, there, there he is. He's a guy that doesn't even care for the law of Moses. So either way Jesus goes, he's, he's in trouble. That's what they want. That's exactly what was going on here. Jesus skirts the trap by upping the ante. They appeal to the law. So does he without denying the penalty prescribed by Moses was appropriate. If God prescribed it, it's just. So before orally responding to their question, you can, can't you just see the picture? It's really an unusual picture. Here are they all standing around. So what do you say, Bob, huh? What shall we do? Should we grab rocks? And Jesus bent down on the ground. They were chiming in his ear. And he just started writing, we presume, in Hebrew. Well, what do you, what's your answer? Jesus just kept, kept writing. They weren't paying too much attention at that point to what he was writing. They go, come on, come on, speak up. Jesus gets up. And then he says, well, here's your answer. And he looks around. I can just imagine that piercing divine gaze as he looks around. We don't know how many there were, but it was a, a little platoon of, of men. I just imagine his gaze going in eye after eye. Well, you think people ought to be stoned for this kind of sin? Well, it would be just before the eye of God. But before you throw a stone... 
let the one who is sinless before the law of Moses cast the first stone. Adam's apple popping. Then he stooped down and he wrote again. And uh, then a funny thing happened. The elders among the group, those who were older by that I mean, I mean by that, they just started turning tail and walking away. Their conscience was yelling their own guilt. And gradually, the younger men started moving out. And then there was nobody, no accusers. Before you could stone somebody, you had to have two or three witnesses. They all said they were witnesses. Apparently, in guilt, they took tail and they ran. Because whatever Jesus wrote in Hebrew... Text does not tell us, but it's pretty easy to guess, I think. He knew who every man was. He knew every man's heart. He knew every man and woman's guilt who would have been in the vicinity. And so uh, he was writing an indictment, I think, of all that crew. And finally, he had their attention. They looked down there and they read it. There was a bill of particulars. He who is without us, without sin among you, you grab a rock. Oops. I can just imagine those guys. He knows. He knows. How does he know? But he knows. I think it's time for lunch. I got to go buy a car and hang around. Yeah, my wife said she needed me by 3 o'clock. I got to go. So they tucked their tails and they left. The, the oldest men had a longer rap sheet. <laughs> they had lived longer. And so they looked down there and they saw themselves written in the sand. Bye-bye. And then Jesus looks this woman in the face and he said, Lady, has no one condemned you? And then remarkably, she says, no one, Lord. No rocks are coming my way. Then Jesus says, what we may misunderstand, neither do I can condemn you. Many have read that passage and understood it this way. Okay, dear, they're not throwing rocks at you, neither am I. They understand it in such a way as Jesus says, look, you're okay, 
I'm okay. I'm not going to stand here and tell you you have sinned. Just go home, be a good girl. That's not what he was saying at all. It's important that we understand that, I'll say more about this in a minute, we understand that Jesus, in fact, he did condemn her behavior. How do I know that? Well, here's where it helps to know Greek. That go your way, you know, and don't do that again. It wasn't that. This lady had a record. He said in the Greek present tense, the technical term for it is durative action. And it means, it refers to a habit. Don't continue that habit. He was telling her forthright. I know you. I know you to the bone. I know everything you are and I know everything you aren't. You've got an immoral habit. You keep sleeping around. You called me Lord. Go away. Stop that behavior. Another word for that is repent. We don't know if she did, but because she called him Lord, we believe that by the time she did that, she understood who he was. And she probably became one of his followers. Now, I say we don't know that for sure, but that's my inference. And I think that's what, I think that's what happened. Well, no. Now, I want to talk about, I want to do some summation. So let's talk about that. Just a minute here. First of all, I said, and I want to repeat as we summarize, Jesus did not, not, N-O-T, excuse this woman and her sin as if it's a light thing. As for this woman, note carefully, after exposing the hypocrisy of her accusers, and their hypocrisy was horrific, the Lord Jesus did not let her off the moral hook, but he even exposed the deeper scope of it than those people knew. He was gentle, but he was firm. He always is. He called her sin a sin. He did not give her a pass. Stop this sinning. I'm sure this parting word must have shocked her. So admonishing her to stop it, he informs her conscience gently but frankly. He lets her know that he knows with no help from her accusers. He knows her immoral character and he knows her bad habits, knows them to the bone. 
And she knows that he sees right through her, as should we. When he said that, she must have heard through him the voice of God who gave the Ten Commandments, who gave that Seventh Commandment that says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. She must have heard it boom across her conscience like a cannon. Secondly, summation, listen like our Lord. The church, when I say the church, I say it with a capital C, referring to all true believers throughout the generations. We must call a spade a spade. Jesus did, echoing the judgment of God. His judgment is the voice of the Father in heaven. And folks, that must be our voice on earth. Not only does God have the right to condemn, but we as his church, we have the duty to affirm and echo in faithfulness, but in humility, what God says. Call a spade a spade. In humility, we must all say, there but By the grace of God go I. We're all susceptible. We can all step in it. We can all dishonor God and we can all disgrace ourselves. Temptation is ever about us, ever about us. But it's still our duty to affirm and echo in faithfulness, but humility. The voice of God. People say, I don't want to be judged by you. We're not judging anybody. God does the judging. God had judged adultery. But God also forgives it. So not in hypocritical self-righteousness, which is contemptible, but in humble faithfulness, we as a church have the duty to call sin, sin, call a spade a spade. Now, why do I emphasize that? So because we're not doing it. We're so afraid of getting criticized. Oh, you people are so self-righteous. There are self-righteous people. You people think you're sinless. And you criticize me. Yeah, there are people who are. But I hope none of us are. None of us here are. But we get so spooked when somebody says something negative about us. You're a bunch of haters. Well, we'll just have to endure that. If we're going to bring anybody to Christ, our voice should be used of the Spirit to bring them to repentance. We can't just pass over that kind of stuff and say, I'm okay, you're okay, you know, we all just love you. Well, we may, but we've got to confront sin. Or we bring a bunch of people to an altar, so to speak, who haven't repented of their sins. Can't let that happen. A church that professes to seek the lost cannot bypass its duty and call people to repentance, which is the first step of faith. It is not love and compassion to shuck and jive trying to evade the backlash of sinners against our responsibility.
to call out evil. We just, we're so afraid of that, afraid as individuals and afraid as a church. We've got to look that in the eye when we see it. And we've got to tell Bill, Joe, John, whoever, and Mary and Sally and everybody else, not rub their faces in it, but in humility, but in faithfulness, say, this is wrong. Now, you see all the stuff that's going on in our society. It'd be very easy for us to get a ring of, of haters and trying to tar and feather us. Well, we can't say anything that, yes, we can and we should, and not back off. Jesus did not back off. I'm sure that woman was profoundly shocked when the Lord said, neither do I condemn you. I'm not going to throw a rock at you. There were no witnesses there. You had to have two or three witnesses. Jesus wasn't going to condemn her on hearsay, although he knew her. But then when he said, stop sinning, you've got a really evil habit. Stop it. Repent. Now, our mission is to build people up in Christ, to send them out for Christ in order to bring people to Christ. It's not always easy, particularly in our day, it's not easy to go out and to talk to people and to bring them to Christ. Even to talk about Jesus is politically incorrect. You've caught up with that, haven't you? I want to mention that to you because I've just this week, I've run into believers more than once, just this week, who aren't watching the news. You need to know what's going on, not hide from it. And this stuff is out there and it's getting pretty big. It's just swelling up like a big wave. So go in with your eyes open. But we need to talk to people about Jesus. If you're here and your conscience is yelling at you like this woman for this or whatever, you may be an axe murderer. I'm serious. The Son of God came into this world to be your Redeemer. He will not miss mince words about your need of him, about your sin. Neither will I as the pastor here, and I hope as my flock, you will not either. Call a spade a spade, but offer to men and women who are lost, Jesus, who came to save that woman. So don't call him Lord until you repent. That's the first motion of faith. Repent does not mean to just go get a hammer and beat yourself on the head, but just recognize that you've been living a life that is outside the law of God. I'm not just talking about adultery or 
hate or some other sin. Do you know, Matthew chapter 6, do you know that when the law says thou shalt not commit adultery, it means every every form of sexual sin, including just simple lust, is breaking the law of God. When it says that thou shalt not murder, do you know, Matthew chapter 6, that that includes also hate? So none of us can escape. We're all violators. That's what Jesus was getting across to all of us are guilty of these sins in the Ten Commandments. If not outwardly, I've never committed adultery. But everything that is the taproot of adultery, yeah, I've committed. So have you. I've never killed anybody. But I remember one girl. (laughs) I could have. That's not funny, but it's, you'll like it. Her name was Velma. I can still see her. (laughs) We were at a camp, and I'm very competitive. And I had my friends on the other side of the volleyball thing. We played volleyball every Well, Velma had this thing for one of my friends named Tom. She wanted Tom real bad. So she always wound up on my team. And more than once, she caused us to lose a volleyball game because she'd get over there instead of playing the game. She'd go, (laughs) the ball would come over. I would see that girl, and I wanted to strangle her. That's as near to pure hate as I think I've ever come. I just, oh, I could kill her. And I really kind of wanted to. Well, there I broke that Thou shall not kill. Well, murder, hate is the taproot of killing. So you name it, we're all guilty of it. We're all sinners. The wages of sin is death. So we've all got to fall before God's law and say I'm guilty. James says if you violate the law of God in one respect, you violate it in all because it all hangs together. So if you're here and your heart acknowledges that you are indeed a sinner, the wages of sin is death. Without Christ, I say it not gleefully, but I have to say you're bound for hell. But you can have Jesus and he will forgive all of your sin, both the obvious and the egregious and the subtle. He'll forgive it all, put it under his blood. But you need to receive him. You need to say what this woman said to Jesus, Lord. Lord and Savior and our Redeemer. You need to do that. There are probably some here in this room who need to do that. You see, I've been in this world a long time. And people, lots of them, just come to church. As if that does it, it doesn't do a thing. To come to church, to occupy 
pew to serve on committees, to sing in a choir, to go to Bible studies. It doesn't do flip. It is perhaps a narthex like that narthex out there where you are more easily reached for Christ. But if that's as far as it goes, it's nothing. You may as well stay home. We don't want you to. But it's not going to get you where you need to be. That is into the gracious arms and forgiving arms of Jesus Christ. You're never going to experience eternal life until you believe in him, till you trust in him, till you say Lord to him. That's never going to happen. You've got to do something. Jesus stands waiting. But you've got to act. You've got to say yes. You've got to say yes. I don't know how many people have ever gotten married with nobody saying yes. You need to marry the Lord Jesus and say yes. This woman did say, and I hope hope she said it, in all the richness of its meaning and not just as the equivalent of sir. Lord, no one. Well, if you say Lord to him from the heart, you, like her, will be redeemed. Axe murder or whatever, it may not be forgiven by man's law. It really shouldn't be. But before God, where it really matters, it'll be forgiven. I've seen... A lot of stuff. I've seen people sit before me in the course of my ministry. I remember one little girl. She was, when I was a pastor, I was everything. I mean, my first pastorate. I was the pastor. I was the youth pastor and their Sunday school teacher. I was everything on Sunday. I remember she was very, she was cuter than a speckled puppy in a red wagon. And her daddy had been killed. And I sort of became Carol Ann's daddy, father. And then I noticed a change in her habits. She was always there, then she wasn't there. And I saw her one day. And, uh, it wasn't a low-cut dress or anything, but I saw her, and she was all broken out. And I knew something was wrong. Tend to be a little bit like that where I see things before others see them. And... uh I asked her mother about it. Well, I found out that she had been sleeping with a boy. And God would forgive all that, just like he forgive this one. Forgive all of that. My goodness, she was only 15 years old. And 15 years old, you can be stupid. Some of us can be stupid a lot older. Get into things, shameful things. But this had become a repetitious thing. Guilt was all over her. She couldn't stand to come to church and look me in the eye. 
I had been her father figure. Well, from there she got pregnant. Probably 16 when she had the baby. And from there, of course, she got married. And from there, Jesus would have said to her, you claim me, stop this nonsense. But she got harder and harder and harder. So I went one day down to her home. She was married. In those days, you could do things like that a lot. You wouldn't dare do that today. And I never will forget, I sat up here in the living room. She sat right across there. And she looked at me as I tried to talk to her, just smirking. She was hard as rock already. From there, her life just went downhill. The next thing I knew, she was in the military. I don't know what happened to her after that. I hate to think. All because of sin that she would not confess. It can happen to any of us. But just trying to wear out the guilt, you can do that. The conscience just goes red light, red light, red light, red light, red light, red light, till finally the battery wears out. And the conscience will no longer speak. You don't want to, I don't want to hear it anymore. You're judging me. God's judging you. The Spirit of God is. That's why you don't want to hear it from anybody else. So my friend, if any of you are here, Jesus so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him might not perish, as you surely will, but have everlasting life. Confess the sin, acknowledge the sin. We don't want to condemn you any more than Jesus did. It's the last thing we want to do. We just want you to do what we did. Come to him and admit that we're sinners. We are all lawbreakers. Like I say, I've never murdered anybody. But yeah, I've wanted to. <laughs> all those things at the taproot, all of us are guilty. None of us can stand before the law of God and say, as the Pharisees did, well, I'm good, never done any of those things. No, none of us are good, including this pastor, not about to be. And Jesus knows us. If nobody else knows, he knows. He knows. And he says, stop it. Confess it. Repent of it. You may be a believer. You've gotten yourself ankle deep in stuff that the law of God condemns. He knows it. There's no hiding from him. No hiding. Just admit it. Come clean with him. Stop it. Repent. Well, 
That's what that story is all about. It's not about Jesus saying, well, lady, I'm not going to say anything morally judgmental. You're okay, I'm okay. And he's not saying, well, that's what grace is all about, lady. It's all right, go home. Try to be a good girl. No. So we invite you, if any of you want to talk now or later to me or any of the staff, David or John or Brian or elders, whoever, we urge you to do it. But don't keep trying to stuff it. That's what most people do. I'll just wear out that voice. If I don't listen long enough, it'll stop. You know what? You're right. And that's the most dangerous place you could ever be. When that voice stops, I want to tell you, except for the mercy of God, you're in big trouble. Deal with it while your conscience still can be spoken to, while the red light is still going on. I have a little, a little, it's pretty, it's kind of like a police uh, lamp it's beside my bed. So when I want to get up and see my CPAP machine, I can see what's going on. It's really bright. Sometimes it's so bright I can't even see it, but I can manage. But the other night I left it on all night. I didn't catch it till yesterday evening. And then it was kind of dim. Don't let that light get dim. Deal with it. I know the Spirit of God is speaking to you right now if you're in that situation. Deal with it. But you don't have to do somersaults to deal with it. You just have to say, Lord, I've sinned. I'm wrong. I repent. And I know in Christ you'll forgive me. So do that. We're here to help you if we can. Let's pray. (coughs) Heavenly Father, We thank you for this narrative which shows your grace, which also shows your knowledge of us inside and out, which also shows our Father that you are not a God who just says, I'm okay, you're okay. That's what grace is all about. Just go on. That's not what it's saying. And help us not to take it wrong. Now we thank you for your presence here with us. We pray that you'll give us a good day and a good week. We pray for Rush Johnson his continued recovery and others in our midst, our Heavenly Father, who are hurting this day, if not from this, from that. Hurting emotionally. Hurting physically. Hurting spiritually, we pray the Spirit of God would minister to them according to their need. In the name of the Lord Jesus, amen.